Good evening, church family. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. I would like to end our study this evening uh, with uh, the study that we have been through in the past several weeks entitled uh, Revival. This will be session six, Persevering to the End, City Road Chapel in London, England. Uh, thank you for bearing with me as, of course, we have had to uh, endure and uh, literally uh, be locked into our our homes for uh, winter getting 2021 but uh, the rain has come the temps have warmed up and hopefully hopefully the Lord willing uh, we are looking towards spring now so I wanted to finish up this study uh, but before we go there, I'd like to offer a word of prayer for us. So let us go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, uh, it has certainly been a journey uh, in these last uh, several days and weeks together, Lord. But you are God and you are mighty, and we ultimately put our faith in you, Lord, what is impossible to our minds and certainly to our own strength, Lord, it is made possible in and through you. So we turn our hearts to you and we call upon your name. Lord, bless this last session of revival, Lord. May it be a blessing uh, to those who watch it. And we ask this in Jesus' holy and blessed name. Amen. So, uh, church, what I'd like to do is turn to the scriptures, uh, that being Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. I'll read it now. Please follow along if you have the word in front of you. It says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So just a, a couple of... Uh, notes that I'd like to share from Pastor Hamilton to uh, begin this study here. So please take note and um, uh, just uh, bear with me for a moment here, some, some important context. He, he offers this, when you have a vision, some will oppose it. When you challenge the status quo, you'll ruffle feathers. When you are passionate, others will be skeptical. When you see a measure of success, some will find you threatening. When you seek to change things, you'll encounter resistance. So, as John and Charles Wesley preached in the fields, challenging the spiritual malaise of the Anglican Church in the 18th century, and passionately calling their hearers to a deeper faith and a holy life, of course they roused opposition. In this chapter, we're going to look at that opposition that marked the middle period of John Wesley's life and, of course, John Wesley's response 
to it. So uh, the first tagline is just that, opposition, persecution, and perseverance. So consider how John Wesley considered his sermon entitled Spiritual Christianity, which he preached in 1744 at St. Mary's Church in Oxford. It was the last time he was invited to preach there, and I just want to read a segment of it. He says this, May it not be one of the consequences of this that so many of you are a generation of triflers, triflers with God, with one another, and with your own souls. For how few of you spend from one week to another a single hour in private prayer? How few have any thought of God and the general tenor of your conversation? Who of you is in any disagree, or degree rather, acquainted with the work of the Holy Spirit? His supernatural work in the souls of men. Can you bear, unless now and then in a church, any talk of the Holy Ghost? Would you not take it for granted if one began such a conversation that it was either hypocrisy or enthusiasm? In the name of the Lord God Almighty, I ask, what religion are you of? Even the talk of Christianity ye cannot will not bear. Oh, my brethren, what a Christian city is this. It is time for thee, Lord, to lay to thine hand. So, John Wesley, he challenged listeners throughout England and Scotland and Ireland and Wales to a deeper level of commitment and a serious pursuit of a holy life, something that he uh, strove to do even in his early beginnings uh, in his own life and, and ministry. Wesley said that many who thought they were Christians seemed to be so only by name. They were also almost Christians. They did, they did not have the joy, the assurance, or peace that comes from being wholly surrendered to God. They live their lives in compromise with sin, willing to do just enough, but to do, in fact, no more than that. They entertained evil, provided that it wasn't too extreme. They did little or nothing to grow in their love for God. So, as we've learned, most towns with a market had a market cross at the center of a visible reminder to merchants that Christ watched as they conducted business. Wesley often preached on the stairs or near these crosses. He would start by singing hymns until a crowd had gathered. Then he began to preach about the need for salvation, forgiveness, and walking and waking to God. And that also reminds me, too, of a lot of the uh, mining towns that, of course, are now abandoned or ghost towns. Even in our own great land of, of America, I, I, I think of 
for instance, the states of Arizona and Colorado, many uh, of those towns, of course, had uh, the church and the, the focal point of the church, that being the cross right in the, the center of town where uh, there was that gathering for, for just this, that Wesley was preaching uh, across the pond. So I, I, I thought about that illustration even in our own nation. So he, here's, here's an example here from August 28, 1748, when Wesley preached at the Market Cross in Bolton, England. It goes something like this. At one, I went to the cross in Bolton. There was a vast number of people, but many of them utterly wild. As soon as I began speaking, they began thrusting to and fro, endeavoring to throw me down from the steps on which I stood. They did so once or twice. But I went up again and continued my discourse. They began to throw stones. And at the same time, some got upon the cross behind me and pushed me down. Wow. So Wesley described how he got right back up and continued to preach, silencing the crowd. You may remember that John's father, Samuel, taught him perseverance. During 19 years of sermons, John was pelted with rotten tomatoes, manure, and stones, but he refused to give up. So, perseverance for sure. So, in 19 years, this was Wesley's weekly, even daily, experience. He was dragged before magistrates, beaten with fists, Plummeled with rocks, homes where he stayed were set afire. How discouraging it must have been. But he refused to give up. There it is again, perseverance. And his perseverance in the face of opposition, in fact, made all the difference. So the great revival of Christianity took place under Wesley's leadership because he refused to give up, despite years of sometimes violent opposition. He remembered the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 11 and 12 that says this, Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. The word says, Rejoice and be glad. Perseverance. Speaking out for those who can't speak for themselves. As John Wesley grew older, it would have been easy just to play it safe in his latter years. An elder statesman in the Christian revival, uh, he enjoyed the favor of millions. Why rock the boat now, right? Yet he seemed to understand that precisely because of his stature and influence, he must, in the words of the Proverbs from 31, 8 and 9, that says this, Speak out for those who cannot speak for the rights of all of the destitute. Speak out, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Well, beginning in his late 60s, Wesley began to speak out against the slave trade. Many of the slave traders were British. The ships often set sail from Bristol, 
one of the hubs of Methodism, then traded for slaves in Africa and took them to America where the slaves were traded for tobacco, sugar, cotton, and other goods to be sold in Great Britain. So in 1776, it was decided that the foundry, the old cannon works in London where Methodists had met for 27 years, was no longer serving the group's needs and likely would need to be torn down. Wesley started a capital campaign to raise money for a new chapel that would be the center of Methodism in London. He would build the chapel directly across the street from the cemetery where his mother, Susanna, had been buried. City Road Chapel, now known as Wesley's Chapel, was finished in 1788. It was considered by many to be Methodism's mother church, or the cathedral of Methodism. Wesley preached there many times. He constructed a home next to the chapel and lived there, where he was not, or when he was not traveling, rather, during the final 12 years of his life. As Wesley grew older and the Methodist movement grew larger, he became concerned about the prosperity of Methodists. Many of the early Methodists had been from lower ranks in society, but as their lives changed, their jobs and social status also changed. Frequently, the honesty, integrity, and trustworthiness that grew from their Methodism resulted, in fact, in promotions. And increasingly, Methodists found themselves in the upper or even the middle class of society. Wesley feared that prosperity might lead some to, in fact, fall away. In his latter years, he repeatedly warned against this. One of the texts he frequently preached from was Paul's statement in 1 Timothy 6.9, where it says, Those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. In Wesley's sermon, The Use of Money, he offered three rules for Christians. Gain all you can. Save all you can. Give all you can. Early in his ministry, John Wesley earned 38 pounds a year. He gave away two pounds and lived on 28. The following year, his salary doubled to 60 pounds. He decided to continue living on 28 pounds, and he gave away 32 over the course of his life, especially because of book sales, he earned a significant income. But each year, he gave away an increasing percentage of his income, amounting to about 90% by the time of his death. So the aim of the Christian life is being wholly devoted to God, John Wesley thought, and loving God and neighbor, which in turn leads to financial generosity. To Wesley, tithing might be a good initial goal, but giving all you can, money, time, and heart, was the real measure. So Wesley's last days and holy dying. Wesley lived to be 87 years old, a very advanced age, if you think about it, in the 18th century. 
Through his 80s, he continued to preach outdoors. In fact, he was 87 the last time he preached under a tree in the town of Winchelsea. He spent more and more time in London the last few years of his life, living in the house the Methodists had built for him next to the Chapel Road uh, uh, sanctuary there. It was Wesley's home, but it was also home to any visiting preachers who came to London. It was there in his bedroom that John Wesley breathed his last. John Wesley frequently had taught about holy dying and what constituted a good death. He had seen many saints die and told of how those who trusted in Christ faced death with hope. He encouraged people to think about their own death and how even in dying they might bear witness to their faith. A devoted believer named Elizabeth Ritchie was John Wesley's friend and housekeeper. She was with Wesley when he died and recorded the account of his passing. Ritchie noted that just before Wesley died, he tried to sing an Isaac Watts hymn. I'll praise my maker while I've breath. All he could muster was, I'll praise, I'll praise. And then he uttered one final word to his friends. Farewell. At 87, John Wesley breathed his last. The first stanza of the hymn Wesley was trying to sing goes like this. I'll praise my maker while I've breath. And when my voice is lost in death, praise shall employ my nobler powers. My days of praise shall near be past. While life and thought and being last, or immortality endures. The faith that John Wesley lived engaged head and heart and hands. He held together both the evangelical gospel, calling us to trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, and the social gospel, calling us to be God's instruments for healing in a broken world. There is a prayer that Wesley invited his preachers to say at the new year. It's a prayer of complete surrender to God. I pray it, or some variation of it. Pastor Hamilton says, every morning on my knees when I awaken. And I invite you to pray it out loud as you surrender your life to Jesus Christ as well. And I'd like to read it now. It says this, I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or lay aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen and amen.
So, uh, we give uh, John Wesley the last word here, uh, someone who surrendered uh, their life to Jesus Christ. What, what a great way to uh, think about revival and close the study. Uh, so I leave you with these final thoughts. Um, after having gone through these different uh, sessions, we, we see this progression of John Wesley's life, a, a deepening of his own faith. Ultimately, John Wesley had to put John Wesley uh, aside, surrender uh, unto God so that God could use him uh, as truly an instrument for uh, the gospel and for the kingdom. So I, I want to leave you with this. Are you surrendering? Are you surrendering fully to God? Or are you literally just white-knuckling it, trying to control and manipulate uh, things on your own, trying to be uh, the God uh, in heaven uh, yourself, playing God, if you will? Are you white-knuckling and trying uh, to hold on best you can to uh, your own power? Or are you surrendering ultimately to God? Are you surrendering to Jesus Christ? You see, in order for revival to happen, both a, a personal, private, uh, spiritual revival, or a corporate uh, revival, we, we must ultimately put self aside. We must surrender self. Even Scripture says, uh, die to self. We've got to put agenda uh, aside, self-serving agenda aside, so that the Spirit can in fact work and move and change and convict lives of believers. That's where revival begins, really. It's within ourselves. It's within our own spirits. Are we ready for a revival as believers? Are we ready for a revival as a church? Are we ready for a revival as a denomination? I leave you with that, but we are better people. We are better human beings. We are better Christians if we can ultimately put self aside and say, Lord, not my will be done, but yours. Amen. And thank you for joining me, uh, church, for these sessions of revival. I'd like to close with a word of prayer, and we will begin a Lenten study, uh, an online Lenten study, um, uh, coming up uh, so that we can be guided each and every Wednesday through uh, this season of Lent. So, looking forward to that, as I hope you are as well. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, to uh, know and experience and glean the spiritual fruit from what uh, revival can be uh, and how it can transform through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, what a, what a blessed thing that is. Our, our movement founder, John Wesley, knew that. He was by no means perfect. He fell from grace. He was a sinner, but he was able to pick himself up, dust himself off, and ultimately surrender not to his will, uh, but to your will and your will 
alone. Lord, it starts there. Not my will be done, but yours, Almighty Father. So we leave it there. We leave this study now to move ourselves right into the season of Lent. I pray that we are, in fact, intentional about letting go, about being and having the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ so that we can ultimately be prepared and equipped for what the resurrection, the Easter story, brings to our hearts in just a few short days and weeks, Lord. Let us be fully prepared by surrendering. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Church, you have a wonderful evening. God bless you, and I'll be seeing you soon. Take care.